Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. Today, my guest is lead analyst Logan Motoshami to talk about more positive news for housing. We've got purchase application data, builder's confidence numbers, and of course, mortgage rates. Logan, welcome back to the podcast. It is very exciting to be here today. And I just thought I would start off by saying uh, I've had a few messages the last uh, uh, week or so about people asking if I was feeling okay because... (laughs) I seemed a little bit low energy on the last two podcasts. I just want to let everyone know it's Sarah's fault. Sarah tried to, or is, we gave me a mic so I could speak. And of course, I'm the whirlwind. I'm the Tasmanian devil. You can't put me sitting down and we're trying to work back and forth and I'm trying to get the mic perfect. And it's just, it's just, it, let the beach beast roam free. Don't try to contain it. No. <laughs> okay. This is not my fault. I did not realize that if you had to sit still in one place that it it would bring your energy down. I should have realized that because you talk with your hands, you go back and forth in your chair. And so last week, what I was trying to do is if people could see the video, I'm like, no, go backward for it. No, come, come forward. And I was giving you all these directions and it, it made you, it, it, it was not good for you. So you're just saying it is your fault. <laughs> no, it is not my fault that you cannot sit in a chair and still have energy. So I can only imagine what you were like in school. Were you the kid that was like bouncing up and down all the time? I was the whirlwind. Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, we, you are back at full energy today. Glad to have you. The mic is still there, but we're just not going to be so picky about it. So, and perfect timing because, wow, do we have a lot going on. So tell me why today is so important, Logan. You know, when, when people track economic data, it's always the inflection point. When you're dealing with high velocity data, when I'm talking about high velocity is that you know, in the last 20 years, we've kind of had very slow economic data. You could work around it. But since COVID, everything is so extreme. And, you know, Wednesday's data was so exceptionally well for housing that even some of my housing crash friends were wondering, wow, did we really hit the bottom? And of course, for me and what we do here at Housing Wire, we believe in not being old and slow. We think that in this day and age with technology and information being able to be disseminated, weekly housing tracking data can talk about future looking data in a more efficient fashion than waiting for old sales data. Normally it wouldn't be a problem. You know, we didn't have this issue in the previous expansion, but um, what we saw uh, in purchase application data is 25% week to week growth. Again, we're working from a very low bar, so the data can be wild, right? Um, the lumber prices have accelerated higher from the recent bottom. The builder's confidence index beat estimates were positive. Last month, the forward-looking data was positive for the first time. If you go back to the late 70s, or not a late 70s, even the mid-70s, whenever you see data look like this from an extreme low, it traditionally tells you that housing activity is bottoming out. So um, we talked about this going back to November 9th, right? The data was stabilizing. It's just purchase application data, I believe, is 
too funky for people to read correctly unless you religiously follow it every week for over 10 years. Um, uh, you need to make major adjustments. You need to know the seasonality. And what I saw from a lot of stock traders on Twitter is that they're focusing on old data. And what do we, we do not want to be old and slow. So what happened today is a lot of people were surprised that the builder's confidence is up, lumber prices are up, purchase application data is up. We're going to get an existing home sales report that's going to be down again because why? That data is backward looking. So this is why we created the housing market tracker. Uh, and on top of everything, the 10-year yield is lower again, trying to break that key level. Uh, we'll see see how that goes. So this is as good as it gets for like a weekly uh, a data read when you're when you're looking back at monthly data. So all positives on this today, but like I stressed, very very low bar, so low that we can trip over it. We just have to take it one week at a time. This is not like COVID. COVID was easier for me to read because we we're going to get we, housing broke out before COVID hit us. Mortgage rates were lower. We we're going to get that V shape recovery and boom, things are going to take off. Here we're going to have to work our way back. Uh, um, but for right now, stabilization, and this started back on November 9th, October 27th, we wrote that article for Housing Wire, the case for lower mortgage rates since that point, mortgage rates gone from 7.37% on October 20th to now today, this morning, Wednesday morning, 6.04%. So that's occurred. We'll see where we go with this for the rest of the year, but these trends are positive, not a negative. That is huge news. I mean, the fact that we are now, this is the lowest um, level of mortgage rates we've seen in quite a while. Um, and your your whole position is that we reach the top of mortgage rates at that seven point, what, what was the, the top? 7.37% on October 20th, 2020. I'm very that, particular about my dates, by the way. <laughs> you are indeed, and about data points. So that for you is like, put a pin in that, that's the top. And and since then, you know, we've we've slowly we have gone up and down, but now today this is noticeably down. And I think it was something to do with the Bank of Japan. Yeah, last night the Bank of Japan yield curve. I could sit here for three hours and talk about it, so I won't bore you. But just realize what the Bank of Japan did last night was positive for uh, bond yields. And I'm like doing videos late last night. Hey, mortgage rates are going to go be lower tomorrow. Bank, you know, bond yields should be lower. And we woke up with a, a big move lower in yields and mortgage rates, I think it were 6.17% or 6.04%. So again, uh, I, I always believe that you, you have to have a model for everything. And uh, you know, going back to October 27th, the cases for why rates should fall, there was a lot of extreme events toward that time. And a lot of that was the dollar was getting super strong, right? And that could create chaos in the marketplace. It drove rates higher than probably it should have been. Uh, uh, and the spreads are already wide. So the dollar has gone lower, right? That's a positive, I believe. It's a positive in that sense that the markets are all calming down, bond yields are coming down. Now, we just have to get the Federal Reserve to understand they're winning this battle. There's not much they can do. You don't need to crash the plane, just land the plane. And uh, uh, it's it, it it's basically been a symphony since October 27th. It has been a very, very beautiful uh, Mozart and uh, interesting to watch. So everything kind of looks the same. And, I, and one of the things I've sh stressed out, I do weekly purchase application updates on Twitter. And, I, and I've talked about how uh, the comps were so difficult from October to January that we should get 35 to 45% year over year declines. 
Also, in that context, people might overread that, right? They might think it's, you know, uh, uh, well, something's really deteriorating. Really, it was we had a seasonal volume push toward the end of 2021. So the comps were going to be really bad. Now, from October to January, the year-over-year declines have been between 35 to 46%. So it kind of looks normal. It's just that we're working from such a low bar right now that anything increasing is just going to move the data very aggressively. So that's what we saw 25% you know, uh, week to week. And remember, second week of January, first week of May. That's how you should look in a normal period of time. That's where the volume is. The last kind of two weeks of the year, uh, first two weeks of the year, kind of, you, that's where activity is the lowest. So a lot of people saw that and said, oh, housing's not getting any better. No, the internals were starting to get better as of November 9th. So, and when you're talking about that, you know, it should fall between that range 36 and, and 45%, that you're talking about purchase apps there. Yeah, purchase application year over year. Remember, all housing data was going to have terrible comps, you know, uh, the last three months of 2022. And then and then the, the next stage of this discussion is that through as the year progresses on, the comps are going to get less and less difficult. So we have to adjust to that reality, especially the second half of, of 2023. You're going to have uh, uh, easier comps to work with where you could even show uh, year over year uh, growth in sales uh, and purchase. I think the the last time we had year over year growth in purchase application was May nineteenth, twenty twenty one. That's how crazy COVID has messed up the data line. So if you don't do adjustments and seasonality trends, you're just you're going to get lost. It's just chaos out there. So uh, this is why the tracker is created. Because why, Sarah? We want to be the the detective, not the troll. Yes. See, right. I I got it that time. I knew what we were going for there. So speaking of the tracker, so you look at purchase application data, you look at inventory, you look at mortgage rates, bond yields and mortgage rates. So our your tracker this week, of course, we were going on purchase application from uh, data from last week, but the inventory was the surprise this week. Yeah, inventory had been falling faster than I thought it would. And again, for, for me, um, one of the things I've tried to emphasize is that when new listings data declines and is negative, that is not a positive. Some people think of it as a positive because people aren't listing or you know inventory is not going to break it. No, a traditional seller is a traditional buyer. This is one of the reasons why we saw a absolute waterfall collapse in demand in 2022. So we started the year at six point near 6.5 million January sales. We're probably going to be under 4 million uh, in December. So People have to list and sell. What happened during COVID is we saw that in COVID. We saw this waterfall dive in demand and new listings data decline. But after that, new listings data recovered. What occurred last year, which is problematic, is that after June, people stopped listing and just said, nope, that's it. Um, we're not gonna, we're not gonna buying a house at 7%, not gonna work. 6% no. So we need inventory to grow. Traditional sellers, a traditional buyer, get back to a normal housing market, which is a B and B, boring and balanced. That's the way it's been since the Peloponnesian War. There's only a few times where we have historical deviations from there, and uh, uh, you know the, the the credit bust in during the housing bubble years, COVID. These things are abnormal historical times in economic history. So we just want to get back to something normal. Normal's good. You know, one of the things that you're looking at is like, what will it take to really get get the stabilization? Will we see this happen when rates are in the low sixes or do they have to go into the fives to really see that? Maybe explain that a little bit. 
So what we saw last year is when mortgage rates went from three to six and a quarter percent, it really deteriorated the demand after 5%, right? Four to 5% mortgage rates actually wasn't doing the damage I thought it would do, but five to six, six and a quarter did. What occurred was when rates went back from six and a quarter to 5%, demand started to come back in. It wasn't there very long. And it just, you know, it was just a few weeks. And then all of a sudden, boom, we went to 7.3. This is not a functioning marketplace when it does this, right? This resembles what third world countries have to deal with with rates and inflation, not the United States of America. So it was very sloppy um, what, what occurred last year. So if we get stabilization in rates, um, what we've seen is 7.375 to 6% broad in demand. We're working from a low bar, but it's noticeable now. And this is going back all the way now to November. Um, if we take, if we do some adjustments on the seasonal timeframe, it's, it's really a, a solid stabilization. And we have bounced off the lows in purchase application data. We've hit that low and we bounced off and noticed we, now the question is we're in the seasonal period time. You need to see this data line show some growth year over year for it to be uh, any kind of value because as of right now it's just stabilizing unlike covid-19 where we saw a sharp rebound back why mortgage rates were lower back then we're still dealing with higher rates but definitely it, it, it is a positive in the sense that you're looking for stabilization and people again millions of people buy homes every year uh, there's this notion of what we call economic behavior or market timing behavior that somehow Americans are all investors no it's never worked that way. Millions and millions of people every year buy a house. They sell to move to buy a house. First time home buyers. We even had over 4 million total home sales during 2008. So you have to work off the differences of affordability, where sales are at. And I think one mistake I see a lot of people make is that sales have already collapsed in a really big fashion. It's really rare actually to get sales below 4 million post-1996, just because of population growth, the civilian labor force, you know, somebody talked to, asked me to me, well, what about Microsoft laying off 11,000 people? And I said, what about the 155 million people working? My army is bigger than yours. <laughs> you want to bring your 11,000 against my 155 million? You're not the Spartans. This ain't 300. It ain't going to work. We're just going to roll right over you, right? So that was the mistake. And I'm, I'm going to emphasize this because this, I, this I think is, is such a critical thing. That was the mistake everyone made during COVID because they saw 20 to 30 million people technically unemployed. They can't get a loan if you're getting unemployment benefits or anything like that. And they naturally assumed home sales were going to zero. They totally forgot the 133 million people working, right? So you have to work off of affordability. And back then rates were going lower. So it completely blew up in everyone's face, right? We just had a pause due to COVID and a sharp recovery. Here, we have a waterfall dive. Mortgage rates have come down. It's an affordability issue, right? Because if affordability wasn't a problem now, purchase application data should shoot right back up. Okay, so we're not we're not there. We're not in that kind of marketplace, but we just found a stabilization. Why? Because now over 155 million people are working, right? So uh, context is critical when you talk about Amazon laying off 18,000 people. I'm gonna say I have 155 million. I'm going to do this every single time when somebody tells me so-and-so laid off 100 people. I have 155 million. 
Yes, this is something that I've I've said before. I'm like, well, what about this? What about this? We're having all these tech layoffs. And I I do think that it can affect local markets. I do think the San Jose market. I do think the Boise market. I do think, you know, that that part around there. But as far as like overall, it's it's too small to make a, a blip. Yeah. And I think a good a good example of that is the Dakotas during the shale boom and bust. Right. So uh, uh, back in 20, 2015, 2016, there was, there was a PMI recession, which we call the manufacturing recession. So a lot of people were bearish on America back then in housing. But what we saw is that, you know, as growth slowed down, rates fell, the markets in the Dakotas, you know, was, was really hit. Rents were going down, home sales were going down because the oil boom and bust really impacted that sector because a lot of people came to the Dakotas to work. Right. That's 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 very fair. There's there's parts of of the U.S. where that have hired uh, um, tech jobs than others. But just remember. Hundred fifty five million. So uh, follow purchase application data. I'm telling you this. The forward looking housing data has worked since the 1990s for a reason. It doesn't give a bleep what you believe the market should do. It is just a series of numbers of millions of people working together. That is more powerful than any human being's ideological take. So f- numbers over people, right? People can lie. Politicians can lie. Poets can lie. Numbers are the... Closest thing to the handwriting of God. I, I think this means I, I I listen to this too much. I'm too tied in here if I know all these things, Logan. Yes, and that's, that's the way it should be. Because if I do my work, if I'm doing my stuff correctly, everyone here listening should be able to finish my sentences. Because numbers are boring. Economics done right. <laughs> it's boring, right? It's boring, so, yes. Yeah, it's not designed to be sexy or fun or anything like this. So just think of me as that old man with a long beard in the dungeon back in the 1500s with a candle lit and reading scrolls, right? It's that's a, that's what it is. So it's not designed for ideological takes or anything like this. So if the data turns, you have to go with it, regardless of your belief. And this is this is why I stress weekly data, even positive or negative, forward-looking data works, right? It's always worked since the. Uh, Peloponnesian War. There you go. I was going to say 1790, but I was like, no, mm, no, no, no. All American bear, all American bears have failed since 1790. That's the <laughs> thing for that one. So, so the, the graveyard is long and deep. So seriously, though, on on a more serious note, I mean, this is one of the reasons, Logan, that we really wanted you to be our lead analyst is because you do not have a dog in this fight. Um, you don't have an ideological dog in this fight. You care about the housing market, but you are not um, incentivized from a financial standpoint to like try to try to move the market like, oh, you know, you make money when people think they should get out of the market or you make money when people think they should get into the market. And it's something that you and I have talked about why you're so hard on the podcast stock traders. Um, who, and I'm like, hey, we do a podcast. Why are you so hard on these people? But it's because they're really they have a narrative that they're trying to drive. Over the years, what I've realized and how I study people, I'm, I'm very big in reading people's body language, sentence structures to know when they're full of it. But uh, you want to find someone's model. And what I've, what I've seen over time is that if somebody is pointing to a certain data line as their bearish case and that data line turns, then they should turn with it. What occurs sometimes is people don't listen to that, their own models because they really didn't have any. They're just going, a lot of people take information after the fact 
and present a case after the fact, right? Or get third-party information. What I'm trying to do is look forward and to find affordability index or mortgage rates. That's why the tracker, the tracker is really designed for bond yields because really it's about bond yields. Where the where the ten year yields going? Purchase application data, forward looking. How's the inventory channels looking? Now we're going to look at lumber prices, right? The two-year yield, all these really exciting things for me that encompasses a marketplace. That's not really like like YouTube crash material, right? You know, where we, we retract data like this. So that's why the tracker is created, just to give people an idea, right? We want to be the detective, not the troll. So in this case... Um, Going back to October 27th, that article about what's the case for mortgage rates, November 9th, stabilizing data. There it is. So we're we're working on a pattern here, and then we just got to take it one week at a time. One week at a time, and we're just going to grind this out because this is not like COVID where we have this waterfall dive and we're going to get some V-shaped recovery because rates are lower and all that. You know, we just working from an extreme low in activity. So let's talk about the builder's confidence data. Why do you think it turned this? Why why are we seeing that um, turn positive? Because you said that lumber prices are up. So what are some of the things that builders are looking at that makes them confident? It's mortgage rates. <laughs> it's really just, I mean, I, 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 10 year yield mortgage. I mean, um, a lot of people ask, why are the builder stocks doing so well? Why is, you know, uh, what's going on here? And I just said, listen, if you want to realize, just take the 10-year yield, builder stocks, run them in line. You get to see what's going on here. The market is anticipating lower rates. So what does that mean? Builders can move product. So last month, the six-month looking uh, forward-looking data was uh, positive because why rates have fallen. Don't make it any more complicated than that. The builder sector, the new home sales sector is much different than the existing home sales market. The new home sales market is a commodity. There's no one living in their house. They don't need to sell to move anything. They just build something and they're trying to make as much money as possible. And when uh, rates fall, their job is better. So that's why I, I actually like the HMI, the builder's confidence. And I think it's very efficient because it's just here. They're just here to make money and sell homes. They're not here to move and sell or anything like that. So when that data gets negative, you go with it, right? You keep on going to it. But now, the not only did it bounce up higher, it beat estimates. The internals look good. So it depends on really where mortgage rates go. The 10-year yield keeps on going lower, right? Mortgage rates get toward 5%. Then builder stocks will act better. The HMI data gets better. That's really how it's worked. I think one difference is, and this is why I don't like people to think about 2008, 2008, a lot, a lot of people over the years have said, well, housing kept on crashing after 2008, even though mortgage rates fell. Yes, because that was a credit boom. Credit boom, credit bust. Didn't matter what mortgage rates were doing. The facilitation of demand was based on exotic loan debt structure. So when credit deteriorated, that's why the credit availability index, that collapsed. So sales collapsed with it. Here it's different. Now you're working for more mortgage rates because you never had a sales boom. So why I've always stressed this, there was never a sales boom. There was never a FOMO housing market. That was a marketing gimmick, right? Sales, we only had authentically like one year of growth in purchase application. Back then, 2002, three, four, five, you saw this accelerated credit demand. We never had that, right? So you just got to find the affordability indexes of where sales are. And again, that is grinding, brutal, boring work that not a lot of people want to do, except this guy. 
<laughs> and we are glad to have that guy on our team. You know, one of the things, if you if you were around in 2008 and if you were in any sort of neighborhood that got affected, one of the just biggest differences, um, even when we were talking about, you know, could there be a for, um, forbearance crash bros and all that kind of stuff, if we were going to have a foreclosure crisis, is that, you know, you had whole neighborhoods just wiped out where you'd have two, three, four houses on the block that, you know, went into foreclosure that um, were then bank owned, that then had the uh, things boarded up. This is, you know, in the financial crisis, you've had none of that here. None of that. It can't, it, it can't happen like that right now. I, I think it's uh, when we think about the history of U.S. economics, um, and I think what we see as December's existing home sales report should be a Harvard class being taught on housing economics. We could have existing home sales below four million on Friday, which is two thousand seven, two thousand eight levels, and back then total inventory was above four million. We have a shot actually of having total inventory get to a million or even under a million. Uh, that is a close to all-time lows in inventory with a three million spread from back then. The sales numbers are the same. It's just the inventory. Why? Because housing is the cost of shelter to your own capacity to own the debt. People don't sell to be homeless, right? The whole 2021 to 2022 grift was that when rates rise, everyone's going to rush to panic and sell out, right? Not no. You don't tell your wife, honey, some guy in YouTube with really bad hair told me that uh, everyone's <laughs> going to run out and, and sell their homes and, oh my God, oh my God, what are we going to do? Oh. No, that's soft, right? American homeowners are not soft. They're just like sitting there thinking, what? What is the evolution I want? The evolution I want is that I want people to not so much think of a mortgage rate lockdown. The total housing costs for these homeowners on a historical basis are so low to their wages, right? Evolution, right? We move from homo sapien to homo superior because then you realize, why would somebody just panic sell to go pay almost double what they're doing now because of what? A soft person thinks that way. An American homeowner, an American, no. And we just had the greatest test ever recorded in U.S. history. And what did they do? Chilling. They're just like, oh, whatever, right? They're in great shape. Yep. Listen, that's a low blow to go after someone's hair like that. That's just not right. No, it isn't. Not for me. I'm going after everyone. That, that's <laughs> your, You do not want to mess with my hair hair in that style. So, yeah. And we people have the whole hair and, and, and Let me tell you, people know who I'm talking about, too. Right. So let me say, I don't know who you're talking about. I don't want to know who you're talking about. No, but there is a reason why I want to debate people live on air, live on camera, because I want their spouses, their neighbors, their coworkers, their children to see them because it's a different ball game when you got to go head to head with someone. Muhammad, great. I love that. I love that debate on housing bubble. You know, he came up to play. He is the only man I see that is ready to go head to head. Everyone else likes to talk. And when you challenge them in a live debate, that means you take their forecast, their models, and they're going to go, I don't have any. I'm just making stuff up because I need attention. And this is a business model. This is why only one person has ever taken me on my channel because they know what I want. They know what I'm going to do. I'm going to get their forecast. I'm going to get everything they've done in the last 10 years. I'm going to say, let's go. They don't do it, right? And that's that works on the uninitiated. But doing this for as long as I have, oh, oh I'm ready to play ball. 
See, this is why we had to not worry about the microphone because, you know, you just have to be able to move around. I know our listeners can tell the difference. We it's Niners trying- Cowboys week. I'm really excited. I'm trying to keep, <laughs> keep it down. So I'm just like, you know, I'm a Niner fan. And Listen, you know, I am a Brady fan. I was a, I'm a Patriots fan and then I was a Bucks fan and this, it's, it's sad for me right now. So I, I can't say anything about that. I'm also a Chiefs fan. We're still in it. So that's good. So. We'll we'll have to see what what happens here. Okay, so we are recording this on Wednesday. Um, We have existing home sales coming out. We have tell us what to expect the rest of this week. Uh, So uh, when this uh, podcast comes out, the uh, home uh, housing starts data is going to come out. So what we want to see is more completions data. Remember, we have a backlog. More completions positive, right? Especially multifamily. Rental inflation goes down. Good for inflation. Good for rates. Good for housing. Good for America, right? Uh, housing permits could keep on falling until what new home sales. This is the model to get out of recessions. You know, when I went on CNBC last year, you know, I said we, the the housing recession started in June, right? I'm big on my dates, June 16th. Okay. So how do you get off of that? Well, uh, for, for housing construction, you need, uh, new home sales monthly supply to get below six and a half months. You need sales to rise and permits to increase. That's not happening anytime soon. Once that occurs, then we could start talking about getting out of the housing recession, but what are usually happens first is purchase application data rise and builders' confidence rise before that. So it's a process, right? And then existing home sales come out on Friday, and you know I still expect uh, uh, the, the downtrend to continue. Right? Remember, purchase apps looks out thirty to ninety days, right? That's what we want to do: thirty to ninety days. So it's a stabilization period, right? So all we're doing is stabilizing. If we continue this growth, then you what you've seen is that we found a kind of a bottom formation in in, in sales data. And we just got to work on it every single week from then. And so that's that's where we are right now. So it's it's exciting, right? It's exciting to see this. But again, this all started back on October 27th. October 27th, a pivotal date. Logan, as always, thanks for joining me. Thanks for uh, giving us all this insight. And we will talk again soon. How have the 2022 housing market forecast changed? Or how is the industry navigating the shift to a purchase-driven market? HousingWire's premium content program, HW+, answers questions like these and offers a variety of member-exclusive benefits that are tailored to what you need to stay competitive and agile in today's fast-paced market. Go to housingwire.com forward slash membership to join today. With your HW Plus membership, you get access to longer form digital content, the HousingWire magazine, member exclusive rates to in-person events like HousingWire Annual, and more. Thanks for listening to HousingWire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.